in pencil in, I guess, right? Well, or that was the fox hole. That was the fox yeah. hole. Uh, hello out there, everybody. Welcome. This is uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable. I'm Tom Medlin, W5KUB, and uh, we got the whole crew with us tonight. Well, with the exception of Katie. Uh, I think Katie may have some food poisoning. We hope that she's okay, but uh, that's never a good thing to have. Um, but she's going to be back next week, and she'll be talking about her field day next week. Hey, this uh, show is called Amateur Radio Roundtable, and it's about ham radio. And if you're out there listening on International Shortwave, they're on uh, 7490 kilohertz uh, from Monticello. Let's see, the transmitter is up in Monticello, Maine, up on the border of Canada and uh, Maine. We welcome you. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. Tell us where you are. Give us a signal report. We'll send you a QSL card uh, out for listening to the station there. You can join us on YouTube. On uh, Tuesday nights, uh, just go to um, www.youtube.com slash W5KUB, and that's where the live show will be. We have a chat room there. You can join us uh, and uh, communicate with us and the crew uh, during the show. Uh, <clears throat> the new format of the show is about the second half of the show tonight. We will open up Zoom to let uh, anybody out there that wants to come on a show join us. We'll get a big group together here about 9.30 probably. We'll uh, post the Zoom link uh, in the chat room here in just a little while. Uh, if you've got the uh, link from uh, previous weeks, it's going to be the same link link there. Uh, do me a favor, uh, hit the subscribe button. We need you to hit the subscribe button. I, I mention this every week. It helps to uh, promote our uh, YouTube channel, and it also helps to advertise it and bring more and more people over to watch us uh, when you're kind of surfing YouTube. So please hit the subscribe button there. Uh, let's see, uh, the 40 meter net tonight wasn't great. We had uh, just a handful of check-ins, uh, a lot of static tonight. Uh, you know, But I, I think the bands are going to be getting better here uh, pretty soon. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about uh, field day. From a couple locations, uh, we're going to talk about uh, filters. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about our exciting near space launch and what we're planning to do and when we're going to do it. I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, so let's uh, first let's just jump around the room here and let me uh, say hello to Alan. Alan, how you doing, man? You doing good tonight? Yeah. Hey, we're doing okay. It's Alan W2AW from New Jersey. Greetings, everybody. So I've uh, got a good, uh, got a good little tech tips for you tonight. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, filters. I just installed a CW filter in one of my QRP rigs, 
and I did a video on it about a week and a half ago, but I thought I'd show some things live here for tech tips, so that'll be fun. And then uh, since we're going to chat about field day, I'll, I'll maybe we could talk a little bit about my little solo uh, field day operation that I run QRP from a, a pretty interesting radio historic location. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> All right, that that would be exciting. That'd be exciting here too. All right, let's uh, jump around here. Uh, let's see who we got. Let's see. Uh, well, Bill. I mean, uh, 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 Glenn. Bill's gone. Yeah. Bill. Uh, Glenn, how you doing, man? Yeah, Bill ain't made it yet. I don't think he's. Well, yeah, going. he was here. He was here and logged in a minute ago, but he said he had to go and he'd probably be back a little later. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, as you can tell, it is Prime Day. They are wearing me out. Um, Y'all are ordering just way too much stuff, including me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're getting geared up for field day too. I'm going to be with the Olive Branch crew uh, as much as I can. I'm on call that weekend, so I can't stay overnight this year. But uh, I'll be there during the day as much as I can. All right. Well, um Hope it's not hot out there like it was the last time I visited you guys out there. Man, it was I think hot. they were predicting thunderstorms again. Yeah, you might need that to cool things off here. For Sunday. Yeah, I think uh, Saturday's supposed to be like 89 degrees. Uh, but Sunday, there's a, a big chance for thunderstorms. Well, all right. Well, hey, get us some pictures and we'll talk about it next week. Will do. All right. All right. Hey, let's just jump right into this. We've got a uh, guest tonight, kind of a short notice, but uh, uh, Steve Frazier, KK4VPT, uh, is joining us tonight. Uh, Steve is the president of the Delta Amateur Radio Club uh, here in, in Memphis. And also, uh, uh, he is a pilot and has an airplane. And we're going to talk a little more a little later about uh, his role in chasing down our near space balloon launch so we're going to have crews on the ground and in the air so that's going to be an interesting discussion and we haven't even planned the details yet um, uh, that's got to happen between now and uh, the next uh, week to 10 days so let's bring um, let's bring uh, uh, Steve in here Steve how you doing man you come on in here and say hello to everybody hey doing doing good doing good Steve uh uh, Steve Frazier, Kilo Kilo Four, Victor Papatango. Uh, yeah, I um, been following on the uh, Facebook page about the um, uh, balloon launch, and um, um, you know I've, I've seen some of the others and followed them. And uh, uh, Tom had mentioned on this this one he was trying to kind of track it since it, this one was going to stay a little bit more local. Uh, was one to. Uh, uh, track it a little bit better, and he was hoping that the uh, Civil Air Patrol would help him. But uh, I think the higher ups uh, kind of um, uh, well, I haven't up. heard back from them. It, it was interesting; it got forwarded up, but they they didn't. They don't really know the even official date yet. I didn't. I didn't get a lot of interest, so I, I just didn't talk to them anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, when, when I when I bring in the Fraser Air. Uh, air patrol I, I i think that's all we need man that's it that i mean work. is that is that the plane back there is that that's the plane, that's the plane we're going to be using it's a uh, six-seater uh cherokee six uh so we can have a couple of people uh got plenty of windows um uh, and uh, 
I, I, I'm thinking being a low wing airplane, we can can look up and and, and see it, uh, see the balloon as it's coming down. I'm hoping. So. Yeah, that'd be cool. And you know, hey, uh, you know, I got all kinds of ideas now. I, when I talk to you Saturday, I'm gonna talk about a hook on the back of that tail. There where, we go. where we can hook the parachute now uh you got to be you might want to do some practice runs in a, a a you know a simulator at first but when i was uh uh when i was uh overseas uh we would send a drone out to do various things this drone was about the size of my pickup truck and i'll just say it listened to whatever it could listen to you know that type thing and um at the end of the day it would come back with a it, it, with a parachute and we would send two helicopters out one helicopter would try to snatch it and if they couldn't get it the second one would have to get it so i'm thinking i'm thinking an airplane could do the same thing man but now this parachute is only going to be three foot shoot so you're going to have to be really uh really accurate here and, and if i if i were you i would turn the engine off not to cause any air turbulence as you got closer there we go there we go but yeah it's it's, it's gonna be interesting we'll uh we'll get together uh at field day uh, this weekend and, and uh i think several of the people that, that are interested in, in, in participating uh on the ground and in the air are going to be there so we can work out some of the details um you know the, the weather's going to be uh, a key factor and it, it looks like we're going to have some some weather hanging around for a few days but um we can be flexible on that yeah uh, well, tell us a little about, and we'll talk more about this a little later in the show, but tell us more about uh, Field Day. You've moved it this year. I was going to go to the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, we've. Uh, if, if anybody's familiar with the Field Day that we've been doing here in the Memphis area, uh, we normally have been at the uh, Germantown Horse Show uh, area. Uh, this year, uh, they've got a horse show uh, that, that's going to be going on this weekend, so we weren't able to have that location uh we're going to be pretty close it's still in the germantown area uh, of memphis uh it's going to be at the germantown municipal park uh if you're familiar if you're not familiar with that uh you may be familiar with uh gpac you know the uh germantown performing arts center uh just south of there and if you're not familiar with the germantown uh with gpac uh, it's just north of the Germantown Police Department, so it kind of covers uh, a range of people <laughs> from the yeah, Germantown yeah. area. <laughs> but uh, it, it's right in there. Uh, also, the Germantown Athletic Club, um, right in there. Uh, they've got we've got a huge uh, pavilion that we can uh, can use. Uh, several trees in the area, and uh, it's, a, it's a new location for us, but I've been out there with several people uh, the last couple of weeks, and, and we're thinking it's, it's going to work for us. If nothing else, I think we're going to have a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it is an active park uh, with mm -hmm. a lot of you know, playground and, and tennis courts and different things. Now with the rain, who knows? But um, if the weather's nice, uh, maybe we'll have some, some, some people that, drop by and, and uh, can get on the air. we can get them on the air all right and that's good and, and this this uh pavilion is it a uh, at the other place you really didn't have a pavilion to be inside right right yeah before we didn't have a central location this one yeah it's a it's a very large um brick you know and, and uh got a big roof it, it, it's going to be a nice area it's going to be a nice area where we're, we're, we're going to have the uh, information center there 
So if anybody wants to uh, bring by somebody and introduce them to ham radio, uh, kind of focus in on the, on the pavilion area there at the um, uh, Germantown Municipal Park, and, and we'll have uh, uh, our go-to station close to there and, and get people on the air. Well, that sounds good. Uh, I, I guess you're still not getting too far away from those railroad tracks, though, right? No, we're not. We're, we're a little farther away. A little yeah, farther I, away, because you, you were right on them. You we were, were right, right on them at that place. I, I could, after a year or two where we were before, I could tell you the train schedule. That's for sure. Uh, that's right, man. And that thing, he always likes to blow the horn when he comes through there for yeah, some reason, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, where we were was near an intersection, so he would blow the horn. So, yeah. Yep. Well, I, I think this is going to work out great for you guys. I'm looking forward to uh, to getting down here and seeing you guys and, and visit with everybody. Are you going to? Are you operating anything uh, particular? I'm uh, I'm doing uh, 15 meters during the day and 80 meters at night. So I'm going to be tired from Sunday afternoon. So yeah. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Did Did you have something you wanted to share on your computer? Was it a map or something uh, or? Yeah, if, if we, let me see if I can here, but I've got, um, if you can see it, can you see it there? Yeah, we don't have, we don't have to do it if, uh, if it's to. too much trouble. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's right there. It's, uh, if you're familiar at all with Germantown, it's, uh, you can Google it, you know, uh, Germantown Municipal Park, uh, right there, uh, Germantown Road, Exeter, between Germantown and Exeter Road and just north of Farmington, if you're familiar with that area. That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's plenty of parking in, in, in several different locations. Um, and and like I've said at our club meeting the other day, everybody uh, needs to remember that uh, field day is a rain or shine uh, event. So that means whether the sun, it, 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 even if the sun's shining, we're going to do it. And it looks like the forecast right now is for rain. So... It's, it's, it's your typical field day forecast. Was uh, anybody uh, working on food for you guys? We're gonna, yeah, we're uh, we're gonna do. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, we're doing lunch and dinner. Uh, just gonna uh, use some local vendors there and uh, caught me off guard. I can't remember. We're gonna have pizza. I think we're gonna have uh, pizza for lunch and sandwiches for dinner i think it's one one way or the other yeah, okay sandwiches and pizza one time or the other so yep all right well hey that, it sounds exciting man I, uh that's that'll be here before we know it i'll be down here and we'll uh we'll visit yeah, with you guys to, i look forward to meeting you and and uh and, and we'll talk more about the balloon yeah yeah okay look hey while we're talking field day here uh, uh alan why don't you go ahead and uh tell us about your special little uh sure. one-man operation yeah, so yeah, because the local club that I'm involved with, the most local one, um, we always have our uh, ham fest either the week before or week after field day, so it's it's too much to have it all crowded together, so unfortunately the, the club doesn't do uh, a field day event, so I've always taken it upon myself to do kind of a little solo event, and uh, what I'll do, let me share uh, a little something here, just kind of show you, it's kind of an interesting site that I go share, I, I go uh, from field day at, so um, this is a little wiki page for this New Brunswick Marconi Station. This is where this was the site of the East Coast transmitting site for the Marconi Wireless Corporation around 1914 or so. And uh, on this site is uh, 
it was it was a 17 kilohertz transmitter so 17,500 meter wavelength <laughs> okay and the antenna was a huge 5,000 foot long uh, antenna array uh, there's a photo here of uh, you know, some folks there and I found a photo of, of what the antenna array looked like it was sitting on top of these long poles the interesting thing is that's what's left of this site is now a Marconi Memorial Park and here's an aerial view of that and it quite literally is this area right here inside this jug handle that's all that's left of the original mm -hmm. site uh, the property uh, for Marconi extended you know from the, this corner uh, these were dirt roads back then in the early 1900s uh, but all this property that's all developed land now is where that antenna stretched out uh, but now all that's left is this little uh, inside this uh, jug handle between these two intersections and then this little jug handle here. We've got a ton of them in New Jersey. But my operating position is inside this little, oops, went a little too far there. Inside this little gazebo right here, uh, I typically set up in there and I throw an antenna up into one of these trees and I park in this little parking lot right here. But given that it's kind of a, an original Marconi wireless uh, location, it's always kind of a fun place to operate. Uh, if you can kind of see over here, there's actually a, um, this picture is an image that's, uh, there's a, a big boulder that's sitting right about here on the property. That's got this plaque on it that talks about uh, the park and what was there at one point. But, uh, but it's kind of, kind of a fun place to operate. I typically operate QRP for a couple hours, you know, depending on the weather. I don't, uh, I don't even, you know, I just, I'm not in it for the points. I'm just in it for the fun and operating from this location. But uh Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, a fun place to go. So, uh, and that's, uh, I use my little ICOM 703, which is the rig that we're going to talk about later with uh, the filters uh, you know, when I set this up here. But uh, but that's my little solo field day operation. So if you hear me on, probably on either 20 or 40, uh, you know, it'll be a little single side band. If the bands are good, if not, it'll be on CW. So we'll, we'll catch you then. All right. Well, that should, that looks like fun. Yeah, it should too, be fun. Too bad there's no antennas left here for you to connect to. Yeah, that would be nice. A 5,000-foot antenna, I think that would work with uh, yeah, 5 watts. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> when, you're, uh, when you're operating out there, is anyone ever... Um, it, it looks like you're kind of isolated back behind the it's trees. It's a pretty isolated stuff. park, and I've only been interrupted once. It was about five years ago. I was just sitting all set up. I had my radios up. I got the antenna in the tree. I got the coax run, and two limousines pulled into the parking lot. Hmm. I look over and a, bunch, a whole wedding party got out of the limousines and they were there because they wanted to take pictures at the gazebo because apparently that's where the guy proposed to his wife. Oh, so really? I quickly unpack or unpack everything up, get it up out of the way, let them take some pictures for a half an hour. And then I went back and set up again and operated. But that's the only time I've been interrupted. Well, you're, <laughs> so. uh, you're a very nice guy to do that, you know. Uh, that was uh, that was great, man. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, hey, uh, all right. In, in just a minute, let's get into and let's we'll talk about uh, your filter deal. Uh, I've got something here someone sent me. I'll mention it now. Um, and this is going to be from um, WB, WB5B sent this to me tonight. Um, see if I can bring it up here. I can find it. Alan, you may have um, you may have already heard about this. I just learned of it today. This is a guy that's rowing solo across the Atlantic. 
Uh, I think he started off down in the Caribbean somewhere. But um, he uh, he's running a a uh, 10 megahertz whisper. <clears throat> One watt whisper, so that's 10 megahertz. What's that? That's, uh, uh, what's that? 60, 60 meters, I think. 60. Yeah. I can't find it. I don't know what the call is that he's running there. So if anybody knows what call that he would be using a whisper, please let me know. I, I tried, tried looking up that F4GOH and I could not, uh, <clears throat> could not get anything on that. So, uh, which way is he going? Is he going from the U.S. to Europe? He's going from the U.S. Uh, back toward uh, Europe. Okay. So uh, he left. Uh, looks like he left the Caribbean, second leg from the U.S. to France. So uh, and then he'll be back home. Uh, well, that's got to be a tough trip, man. I mean, uh, oh gee, I don't know that I would uh, be brave enough to do that. Um, at least he does have a whisper transmitter that can uh, let us know where the last place he was known. You know, he's going to have arms like Popeye when he finishes this. Yeah, thing. that's uh, that's he he may have it here, man. So if anybody can find out this where this guy is, it's on uh, whisper. Let us know so we can start following him. Uh, uh, one watt should do pretty good. Uh, there's several whisper buoys out right now. You know, we've been flying the. Um, We've been flying the Pico balloons, and some people have actually built some uh, ocean buoys, and they're putting the uh, the little tracker in it. Uh, they're weighting it down with like 20 or 30 C-cell batteries. Uh, it's completely sealed, and the top would have like a, a CB antenna or a whip on it, you know, that they uh, have matched to. And they're out there right now in the Pacific floating. Uh, right now, there's a couple of uh, buoys out there floating right now that are sending back. Uh, I think on 20 meters uh, position reports, and they're moving very slow out there right now. Uh, let's see. I, I don't know if. Uh, okay. Well, I'll read the chat later. All right. So, anyway, I thought that was uh, kind of interesting there. You know, another thing we'll talk about a little later tonight uh, during the show uh, uh, after Alan's. Um, talk on filters is I want to talk a little about um, our plans coming up here July 3rd if we can pull it off July 3rd and uh, as you know our our payloads have always been this size right here our payloads have always been about about uh, uh, three grams but we're going now this next flight we're gonna have a payload that's a little bit heavier it's going to be about two pounds, uh, so we're, we're we're getting up there kind of heavy right now. So we'll talk a little about that, and I'll show you what's inside that box here in a few minutes, and and we're going to talk about some of the issues that we might uh, might have as far as one piece of equipment uh, interfering with the other piece of equipment and so forth. Um, but we'll talk about that later. Um, why don't we do this? Um, Let's take a quick uh, uh, break here, real quick, and then Alan, we'll uh, we'll talk filters, okay? Sounds good. All right, so just stand by there. Yeah, it looks Bring like your doors are calling. Get outside and under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. The IC705 is a perfect transceiver. It's a perfect QRP companion. 
The base station has features and functionality at the tip of your fingers and a portable package. And it covers HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 7 centimeters. And guess what? It weighs in at just under 2 pounds. It has a 4.3 inch touchscreen and it's got a live band scope and waterfall. It'll run 5 watts with a BP272 or 10 watts on 13.8 volts DC. It runs all modes including D-Star. The speaker microphone comes standard. The perfect accessory for the 705 is the LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for all your accessories. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver radio brings direct sampling to the UHF VHF weak signal world. This all mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are just sure to keep you busy. It has a 4.3 inch color touchscreen and spectroscope and waterfall. It has smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels and it's full duplex operation in satellite mode. Heard it, worked it, and logged it with ICOM 7300. It's a high performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transistor digitizes the RF before various receiver stages to reduce the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 is the radio that changed the way of entry level HF. Visit www.icomamerica/amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, guys, I'm back. Hey, uh, thanks, thanks in the chat room here for uh, helping us out. 30-meter whisper. I, man, hey, I'm an old, 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 uh, old tube guy, um, you know, ancient last century ham I, I i couldn't visualize what uh what band that was you know we didn't have 30 meters and 60 meters and stuff like that when i uh, got my license 58 59 years ago okay so hey it, it is being picked up let's look at that real quick uh here it is there's some uh, there's some uh, uh hits out there and let's look at the map and see uh where it's where it shows him in the map here so this is a rowboat here we go Oh man, let's see. 30 meters. Let me put his call in again. F4 Golf Oscar Hotel. F4 Golf Oscar Hotel. Because that can't be him. Okay. There we go. All right, there we go. He's, um, he's, he's, he's uh, yeah, he's been picked up, so that's pretty good, man. It's, uh, Looks like, let me see if I can uh, expand this a little bit here. Yeah, it looks like he is a little ways out. Out in the ocean there now. Well, not doing too good. But anyway, there he is. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue to follow him. 
uh, as we uh, as we can, and uh, we'll just see see where he is. That's a great use for uh, Whisper there to uh, track him like that. I say, it looks like he's cheating a little bit, though. He's in the Gulf Stream. <laughs> well, he might be, and that might or not have been by choice either. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know he, no, it runs right up there. It it it, yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, let's, uh, Alan, let's talk about filters tonight. There's all kinds of filters, man. There's big filters and little filters and filters (laughs) that do all different things. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, interesting is uh, Steve just reminded me, too, maybe a good thing to mention is, especially if you're operating at a a multi-op field day site, you know, everybody's got their antenna set up in the same general area. It might be running 10 watts, 100 watts. 1500 watts of power on different bands you might say well i'm operating on different bands i think everything's okay but the reality is those field strengths that can be so large oftentimes it's really beneficial and sometimes necessary to put filters on uh each of the rigs so that uh, you essentially block any of the high you know the high power energy coming from the antenna from the other bands into your rig uh it might cause some overload in the rigs uh the receivers or might even potentially cause damage and actually, it's you know the more modern the rig with the the software-defined radios and things like that, it's it's often become more of an issue because oftentimes the front end of those rigs are much broader, much wider, so they're going to allow more energy in uh, from signals that are out of band because at, at the very least cause some distortion and overload, but at the very worst cause potentially some damage. So uh, if, if if you're operating kind of at a multi-op thing. Uh, Putting some band pass or high pass, low pass filters as necessary to keep the other station's uh, energy from getting into your 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 station is a, probably a good idea. Um, so anyway, the the filter specifically that I wanted to chat about, um, I did a little project over the last week or two to install a new uh, CW filter in my ICOM 703. The 703 is kind of the low power. QRP version of the ICOM 706, and it's kind of my go-to uh, um, low-power rig. And the last couple of times I've used it, I've been getting more and more into CW, and I've found that you know I really wish I had the narrow filter uh, because it just had the the wide, you know, 2.8, 2.9 kilohertz or so, three kilohertz, you know, single sideband filter, and uh, it just got difficult when the band conditions got crowded. So I put a filter in, in this rig, and I thought we'd take this time to talk a little bit about uh, filters and what they can do and actually sh- have you listen to it and actually see it. So let me go and share a little bit of my screen here first as an intro. Let me go to here. So this is just a, a page out of the service manual to kind of show you where the filters go in this particular rig. I mean, you've got the antenna uh, sitting right here, coming through some uh, high-pass filters into a preamp. And then there's basically two conversion stages. One conversion stage takes your signal of interest and sticks it up at around 65 megahertz. And then the second conversion stage brings you down actually to 455. There's actually a typo in the manual here that says it's the nine megahertz filter, but it's not. Um, it's actually a 455, meg- 455 kilohertz filter, noise blanker circuitry. And then that's followed by where the mode specific filters are single sideband and CW, this kind of either standard built-in filter, another wider filter for AM and FM, uh, and then a FM narrow for FM wide, it goes straight through, you're just using this one filter. And then there's an optional filter you can stick in the rig. And uh, and that's the one that I, I fitted with a narrow CW filter. So, um, 
So I did a video and I'll just show, I'm not going to show the video here, but I'll just show you where it is. So if you go to my channel, you know, uh, youtube.com slash W2AW, it's the last video, it's there. It's a number 333. And I've got it kind of broken down from, you know, taking a look at the rig and looking at the filter that I'm using. I'm using one from International Radio. Uh, and then I talk about, you know, t kind of taking the rig apart and uh, how you got to get to, you know, where the filter is going to go. Um, and then, you know, kind of show, you know, how you get the, you know, kind of, you got to kind of pull the board out so you can solder the filter in place. And then, uh, and then I, I go through and show what that filter can do and you can hear it and listen to it. But I figured rather than play the video, let's have some fun and do it live here. So uh, that's what I'll do. Let me stop sharing here for a moment. Maybe the first thing we'll do is actually listen to it. So what I'm going to do is kind of carry my, I don't have a lapel mic, so I got to carry my microphone over here and I'm going to go over here and turn, I'm going to go. Let's see. Let me turn. All right. Let me go turn this, uh, turn my radio on here. Yeah, we turn on some signals here. Uh, let's see. Now, if we listen to this radio. You should be able to hear like two two signals actually both sending my call sign. I so think I think your sound is I think uh, uh, I think the sound may be clipping. I don't know if it's too loud or something. Oh, it could be. I was getting the microphone maybe too close yeah. to it. So maybe that's a little better. So you might be able to hear two. Let me put the narrow filter in place. You should be able to very clearly hear that particular one, that one tone. But I always found it kind of more instructive to actually visually see what's going on here. So what I'm going to do is uh, let me let me go and share one more thing on the screen here. Let me do a couple things. Let me turn my turn the modulation off here, and uh, let's go over and share a. Let's see, I got to bring this guy up here. And let's share, I'm going to share a spectrum analyzer screen here. So, so this spectrum analyzer screen is actually looking at the audio output um, from, from the rig. Let me go turn my two signals off here. So uh, right now with nothing going into the radio, um, this is the audio spectrum of the, you know, essentially what we're seeing from the, from the, uh, from the rig itself. Um, so with nothing going in, it is picking up a little bit of other noise and things like that because I've got some unshielded wires here. But um, you can see that this is showing DC out to about 5 kilohertz. Okay, so 5 kilohertz is out over here and DC is down here. So I can see about a 3 kilohertz wide single sideband filter. And this rig has got an IF shift. I can shift that IF and move it so I can get away from a, maybe a station that was down you know, on the low side of uh, where I was tuned to, or I could tune to the other side to maybe get away from a station that's over on this side here and kind of get that out of the filter passband. Okay, but if I'm looking at, my, at those CW tones that I had, I'm gonna turn those two signals back on here. They're only sitting about 300 Hertz apart, you know, right here and right here. And, uh, and those things may be kind of tough to, 
you know, I wouldn't be able to necessarily get rid of one or the other by using just this one filter because the, the filter just isn't sharp enough. Okay. So let me turn those signals back off here for a second. And let's switch in the, um, the new narrow filter. So there's the, the new narrow filter here. Let me, uh, let me kind of bring this up here a little bit. Okay. So very clearly you can see that it's obviously much narrower. It's only about uh, just under 500 hertz wide and really steep skirts on either side, which means it's a very, very selective filter. And again, compare that to, you know, this is the wide single sideband filter, and this is the new um, uh, CW filter. And of course, we can IF shift that around as well. So now, just to show you how effective this is going to be, let me turn those two tones back on again, okay? So when I don't have that filter in place, you can see those two tones here and here very clearly. When I put that filter on, that upper tone is just gone. If I move the filter over, you can see it pop right back up again. Okay, in fact, I could position them, they're about 300 hertz apart. I can position them so they're both in the filter and I'd hear them both, but it's real easy just to make that signal go away by, uh, by, by just scooting things over. In fact, what I'll do is I'll make, let me make that, that signal come even closer. Let's go this way here. So now that tone is only 100 hertz away from the other one. So there's these two signals just 100 hertz apart from each other. And again, I can use that filter and I'd be able to just take that 100 hertz signal, that signal is just 100 hertz away and be able to kind of just bury that into the skirt and not hear it at all in the receiver. Okay, similarly, if I move that filter or move that signal, let's move it to just 100 hertz on the other side. Okay, so now it's 100 hertz on the low side here. I could IF shift this thing again, and boom, make that signal go right down into uh, you know, the, the, the skirt of the, the filter and not be able to hear it at all. So was, this NRAD filter is extremely effective because it's, it's, it's not too narrow to make it annoying to listen to, but it's got really steep skirts that uh, you know, can really be very effective in helping to eliminate um, the presence of these signals. So. Um, I'm looking forward to operating this thing with this new filter because I think it's really going to help uh, what I can do with uh, in, in hearing signals. Of course, operating uh, QRP like I'm going to be doing, I'm, I should be more concerned about being heard than hearing what I'm trying to uh, you know, trying to listen to there. But uh, hey, we'll see. I think we'll have some fun. But I just thought that was kind of fun. Um, I go into a bit more description and detail in the video. So if you're interested, just check out uh, video number 333 on my YouTube channel, but, um, but I, was, I was pretty surprised at how steep these skirts were for this filter and, uh, and how, how effective it really was. So, um, so yeah, that's what I, you know, the quick thing I had here to, to kind of talk about. Oh, guess one thing we'll do real quick just to kind of show you. Let's, uh, let's go back here and share this. So um, the filter I'm using is this one from International Radio. Um, it's number 116. Um, this is the, since ICOM no longer makes the FL52A, which is the 500 hertz CW filter, I figured rather than try to find one used, um, I, I, I found this, this one from, from uh, Inrad, and it's probably a better filter than the ICOM one was anyway. But you can see the, the filter shape you know, of that thing here as well. So uh, very, very happy with that. Inrad products are now being sold by um, Fiberplex, so you can still get those. So um, anyway, cool stuff.
so if you if you operate any uh, you know narrowband modes, whether it's PSK31 or Whisper or CW or uh, FT8 or any of the narrowband modes, you may benefit uh, pretty greatly when the band conditions get very crowded uh, with a, a nice narrowband filter. Well, that's uh, that's great. We're, I'm gonna have I got another question for you in a minute. Is what Steve brought up here about some other type filters. But first, let me just give you an example of, of what we're gonna discuss here. Um, you know, I built uh, a remote base here, uh, an HF remote base, and um, had a TS570 over there on a off center fed antenna out there. And uh, we implemented this 40 meter net one night a couple years ago, and I was running about a kilowatt on 40 meters on a different radio. Now the 570 was turned off, but guess what? The antenna was still connected. The antenna was, that radio was turned off. And you know, Walter was with me that night and we kept smelling something that smelled like it was burning and wasn't quite sure what it was. And uh, a little later, I realized that power had come, the, the thousand watts I was transmitting on one antenna, they weren't too far apart out there. Enough RF came back in the second antenna that was connected to the 570. It actually burned a hole about the size of a dime in the circuit board. Oh. Took out a transistor and a relay. It took out the attenuator relay, and um, it uh, it was good. it was it was pretty bad. Now I was able to go in and rebuild it. I, I rebuilt everything except I didn't put the attenuator back in. I don't use it yeah. that much, but. Uh, it, it actually came back in and burned it up. So here's the deal, and, and Steve mentioned this, field A, you've got people out there, and they're probably not running real high power, though. Uh, that's going to save you, but uh, those antennas, get close, those close. antennas yeah. can get close together. And, and, you know, hey, running them parallel is one thing. Running them perpendicular to each other is another thing, too, I would imagine. So, Alan, why don't you talk a little about filters and how you can use those to... Yeah. You can even run multiple radios on the same antenna with those filters. Yeah, well, that, I mean, I, you think about it, that's essentially what a repeater does, right? Yeah. A repeater is a, is a relatively high power, maybe 20, 30, 50, 100 watt transmitter running through the same coax and same antenna, mm-hmm. essentially to a, a receiver that's just a little bit out of band, right? So, uh, you know, for two meters, you're only 600 kilohertz apart. On some of the higher ones, you're at 1.2 meg or... It might be five or five or six meg or twelve meg, depending on what band we're talking about. But um, you know, you're you're still in the same band. You're just a little bit further away. So the dupe, that's the job of the duplexer. You know, is to yep. try to isolate the the transmitter from the receiver. In the case of you know a, a repeater, in the case of field day, you're generally operating different bands. You said twenty meters, forty meters, seventy five meters, etc. So, uh, you know, you could conceptually run, you know, a multiband antenna through a common coax, but you really want to ensure that the transmit energy from, uh, you know, from one, one transmitter doesn't get into the receiver that it might be on a different band. Because just because you've changed bands doesn't mean that the front end of that, you know, uh, receiver is not seeing all the other energy that's sitting on that coax. So um, band, band pass filters uh, for the band you're listening to, band stop filters to try to you know, attenuate the, uh, the, the other signals that you don't want getting in are all things that uh, can certainly be used. So you really have to kind of think about that 
and even antenna orientation, like you said, Tom, can be really important because antenna, you know, wire antennas that are broadside to each other are going to couple a whole lot more energy than antennas that are perpendicular to each other. Okay, so, so the, just especially in the near field there. So um, certainly things to think about if you're operating multiple bands. Uh, there was a question in the chat from George, KKAJ, uh, asking whether it's better to use the, the, uh, the bandpass tuning or notch filters or some of the other filters, three filters that he's got in his ICOM 7300, or maybe use them all together. Well, this kind of gets down to the point of where the filter is located and what it does for you. Uh, in general, it's always best to have the filtering as close to the antenna as possible, okay? Uh, so because if we take the example of like a notch filter, oftentimes notch filters are at the very last stage, okay? To, you know, just like maybe in the, in the DMOD section or right in the audio IF, you know, or, or right in the, the audio section itself to, to notch out, you know, a signal so you don't hear it. But if, you, if, if that's where the filter is placed, what, mean, what that means is that offending signal is present all the way through the IF chain in the receiver, which means it, if it's a strong signal, it might affect the AGC because the, 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 IF, chain, the IF stage is seeing it, you know, the various conversion stages are seeing it. So if it's a high-power signal, it could be affecting you know, the mixer performance, it could be affecting you know, the AGC that you're going to get and affect your, uh, do what's called AGC pumping and maybe reduce your ability to hear the signal you want. Even if you eliminate the audio tone from the audio standpoint, it's already affected the, the receiver all the way up front. So the further up the chain and closer to the antenna you can get with filtering, the better you are because then the, the following chains, following signal paths don't have to deal with those large signals. So the ideal thing would be to have it filter out the signals you don't want at the antenna so they don't even get into the receiver, but that's not always practical. Um, but then you hear things called roofing filters. Roofing filters are, is kind of a term that's applied to filters that appear very early in the radio, you know, pretty close to the first mixing stage to prevent high power signals from getting in and getting converted in the first place. Uh, the problem is, is that generally as you go higher and higher or, or earlier and earlier in the receiver, oftentimes that's operating at higher frequencies and higher frequency filters are much tougher to make narrow and steep. Okay, which is often why you see there are combinations of filters. You've got filters in like your 9 megahertz IF, you have filters in the 455K IF, or you might, depending on how many conversion stages are in your radio, you may have different filters in different stages. And the idea is to try to employ those, the filters that, that you, employ the filters that are closer to the front end of the radio if you can. That will help ease the job for the rest of the filters and the rest of the IF stages in the radio. Um, so even like some of the radios that, well, oh, my radio's got DSP, it can do everything. Well, when we first started seeing radios with DSP 15, 20 years ago, all the DSP processors were work, working on audio. Okay, so they could do a lot of magic in terms of audio filtering, but they weren't really solving the problem of getting those offending signals out of the IF chain. Uh, as technology has advanced, we're seeing that, that digital signal processing move closer and closer to the antenna. And uh, case in point with the software-defined radios, oftentimes you might have one conversion stage and then you go right into your digitizer and your DSP. Uh, you know, then you just have to worry about, am I going to overload the analog to digital converter in the radio? 
Okay, there may be some filtering you can do ahead of that. So, um, but in general, it, it's uh, whatever combination of filters you have in the 7300, George, start with those that are first, they're closer to the antenna first. See what they can do to help and then work your way down and use the, the final audio filtering at the very end if there's still a remnant of something to get rid of. That will give you the best performance, best dynamic range, best signal-to-noise ratio, and the least, least amount of distortion in what you get. So I hope that, hope that, uh, that long-winded right. answer answered your question. <laughs> hey, Alan, talking about the, uh, the getting the filter as close to the antenna as you can, one of our club's secret weapons has been we bought the, uh, the bandpass filters years ago, I think from DX Engineering, and we're running a, a log periodic and uh, so we've got the 10, 15, and 20 meter stations all using the log periodic simultaneously. Wow! With with the bandpass filters. How much how much rejection do you have on the un on the unwanted bands? Do you know? Um, shoot, I want to say it's like 60 dB. It's okay. it it's really it really knocks it out. Every now and then, if you're on a harmonic multiple, you might be able to hear. But yeah. as a general rule, you know, move 10 kc up and you're you're gone. Yeah, for a for a hundred watt rig, you know, if you're running a hundred watts for power, 60 dB will get you down to you know a safe level. It's still going to be S9 if you actually tune to over S9. If you tune to it, you might be 20 dB over S9, for example. But it's not going to do damage. Okay, right. and if you're then if you're out of band then it's really not that big of a deal. It's like, okay, I've got, I've got some S9 plus 20 signals on 20 meters, but I'm listening to 40, so it doesn't bother me. So 60 dB will kind of do that for you, you know, if you're running 100 watts on the transmitting side. But, um, but know, actually, you, you've got a filter on both sides, so really yeah. you're getting technically 120 if you want you to go, go yeah. additively like that. Yeah. And it, it all works well until you start getting to the higher bands. Then you got to start worrying about coax shield leakage and things like that that can get into things. Because oftentimes when you talk about um, you know, the duplexers in a receiver, you want you know 120 dB of isolation between transmit and receive or something like that. And then then it's all kinds of things. That's why you want to use double shielded cables and things like that because there now you're talking about a relatively high power transmitter and a receiver in the same band. Yeah. Okay, and that's where, and so the receiver is already going to be susceptible because it's already tuned there. So you need a whole lot more rejection and isolation in that situation than you need for you know, separating band, you know, HF bands from each other. Yeah, that's what really has been killing us is when you fire up the twenty meter CW and FT8. Yeah. You know, there's kind of no escaping yeah. them. Yeah, usually, the biggest one is uh, you know you got a station operating on forty meters, and then you got your fifteen meter stations, and then. You know, the third harmonic, your 40 meter signal lands in 15 meter band, and that's where you start running into issues. So, all right, well, that was interesting, and uh, maybe it'll give somebody some hints about field day and what they can and can't do, or what they should or should not do. You know, sure. All right, let's uh, let's jump into something here a little different. Uh, first of all. <laughs> If you're out there listening on shortwave, we'd love to hear from you. This, this show is about ham radio, amateur radio, and uh, you can join us Tuesday nights at uh, youtube.com slash W5KUB. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. If you're listening on shortwave, tell us where you are and give us a signal report. If you're listening out there on 7490, and uh, you can send that email to tom at w5kub.com. 
Um, let's see. Uh, do we have anybody new in the chat room tonight? I, I'd just like to ask if anybody is still around in the chat room that maybe this is their first time. Uh, just send us a little note in the chat room if you're new. We're, we're glad we have you there. Uh, there were several people on a 40-meter net tonight asked about the show, and we explained it to them. Uh, I think a couple of those people were actually in the chat room earlier. Uh, you know, it, 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 with field day coming up this weekend, we have put, postponed the launch of our balloon till maybe July 3rd. Now, I hope that doesn't cause problems with a lot of people. July 3rd is Saturday, and, you know, a lot of people might have their July 4th party on Saturday. I don't know. Maybe their big celebration of parties. I don't know. But uh, hopefully it won't uh, affect too much uh, our, our launch. Um, so right now, if the weather's good, we're planning on July the 3rd, and we'll probably try to launch somewhere around, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, this balloon is different. For the past two years on the show, we've been flying the Pico balloons and trying to keep them in the air for, you know, uh, one month, two months, four months, six months, go around the world a bunch of times. Uh, and the payload, as I mentioned, is very light, just a few grams. This is the transmitter. But um, we've changed we've changed our uh, site right now, and we've gone to uh, a near space balloon. Uh, uh, we've had several people keep saying, "Why don't you put a camera in? Put a camera in." Well, first of all, uh, our Pico balloons won't carry a camera. Uh, we just can't carry the weight. Uh, plus. Uh, uh, there's no way to get the SD card back, and if you do want to transmit it back, uh, you've got to be within range of it, and more likely you'll never catch any video from it. So we've decided to go with a near-space launch, and uh, that's what we're gearing up here. And I found out this is just about as expensive, if not more, than trying to go with the Pico balloons. Uh, there's a lot to this, and it's taking a lot of time to, uh, uh, to prepare, prepare everything and plan everything. Uh, just to uh, show you what the uh, payload looks like, I've got a couple pictures here. Um, this is going to be what our payload looks like. If I can get to it here. Yeah, well, Tom, you can't call this one a Pico balloon. You're probably going to have to call it a Moab or something like that. Yeah, I might have to. Guys, this, this box here is about a foot square, uh, a foot square by maybe five or six inches deep. And uh, this will be the payload box that we, we send out. Now, we probably have a second payload box that's maybe 15 feet from this one carrying a different transmitter because uh, we're reading about and, and learning and studying about some interference that could be caused between two different GPS tracking systems. And we don't want them to knock each other out. So we might need to separate them by 15 feet. But uh, here's the box, and if you take the top off, what you're going to see in the first uh, in the first one here, we've got a little layer of foam rubber right there that just kind of fills the box out. Uh, once we lift the foam rubber off, uh, we've got another piece of uh, styrofoam in here. This is like a three-quarter inch styrofoam uh, here. So let's lift that out. Now, once we lift that out, you're going to see uh, that little little black object there is a uh, subscription service uh, GPS uh, tracking system. 
Uh, it's called Spot, Spot Trace. And um, we have contracted for the two and a half minute updates uh, on it. Now it works through satellite and it'll also uh, position, it also give us position reports from the ground um, and uh, uh, even at low, low altitudes. The thing about APRS is once we get down to, a, a, you know, 100 feet or 200 feet, 300 feet, we might not be hitting any more digipeters or eye gates and we may not get any more tracking. And especially after it hits the ground, we're not going to get any tracking. But with this GPS system here, we will get tracking. Uh, in other words, if someone beats us to this and takes us home, uh, we should be able to tell what house they, uh, they, uh, they live in. So hopefully we'll be able to track this down. So, so I'm peeling the layers off. That is a, that's the GPS tracker right there that we will be using. Uh, I'm going to take the, the uh, uh, styrofoam off of that layer and uh, underneath there you'll see some, some more equipment. Now this, uh, this GPS receiver here, uh, it gets very cold up here. We're talking about you know minus uh, 90 degrees uh, Fahrenheit or minus 60 Celsius so it gets very cold. One of the, re one of the uh, limits on this GPS tracker the company says is 21,000 feet. Now, I, I talked to their engineers, and there is no hard set limit on it. Uh, that limit is set due to temperature. So I think as long as we can keep it warm, uh, we'll be able to get this tracker to even give us backup tracking. Uh, I have known people that flew this particular uh, uh, spot trace here. Uh, they said it worked up to 60,000 feet. Uh, we may even be able to push it up to 100,000 feet. I don't know. But what we're going to do is set it. It's setting. If you look at, at its position here, you can see there's a camera right there uh, on the left side of that box. These cameras are going to get pretty hot. They're going to get very hot uh, in there. There's no air up there moving around, so they can't dissipate any of the heat really anywhere. So this up. Uh, this uh, uh, GPS tracker is going to be sitting right on top of the camera and it will be absorbing heat from, uh, from the camera there. So we hope to be able to keep it hot and uh, we hope that uh, it will uh, track all the way up to 100,000. Now if it doesn't, uh, we're going to have a secondary or a primary tracker is going to be APRS. Uh, similar to what we've flown in the past, but uh, uh, Bill Brown is sending us uh, one of his uh, new uh, APRS trackers and it will uh, send out a, a signal uh, every 60 seconds and it should be good for the 100,000 plus feet that we travel. So if you look right here you'll see a camera on the left, a camera on the right and you'll see a uh, high capacity battery pack in the center. Uh, again LiPo batteries don't like cold weather. Now they don't like the cold, they stop working. Uh, most people running uh, the batteries uh, with it in, in insulation have, have had pretty good luck. So we're going to be highly insulated. Plus, if you look under this battery, we're gonna, I'm going to lift the battery. I'm going to lift the styrofoam or the battery up here. So if you lift the battery up, you're going to see there's another camera directly under uh, this uh, battery. And uh, that's going to get pretty hot again. And that will heat up that battery right there. So... 
so we've got three cameras in there. Uh, right now it's an east camera, west camera. Uh, when it's in the air, it's probably going to be north and south camera. Who knows what it's going to be. But we also have one pointing down. Um, we experimented with some uh, 360 degree cameras. Uh, they didn't look like they were going to work very well for us, so uh, we went this route with this one. So, um, uh, again, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great event that we're going to have right here. There's the balloon uh, at uh, high altitude. We hope we, hope we can do 105,000. I don't know if we'll make 100,000 or not. Uh, the balloon is supposed to have a popping uh, altitude between uh, 100 and 110. Uh, we'll see. Uh, that means we, we need to be careful when we gas it up to get the right amount of gas in it. Uh, back to the spot trace again. This is the spot trace. This is the, the secondary GPS system that uh, will be flying right there. Now, there's some interesting things uh, that we can do here. Uh, let's see. First of all, uh, we will have a parachute on the system. We'll have a one meter parachute. That's uh, for, for everybody out there. That's, that's three feet. Uh, to me, that seems pretty small. Uh, but uh, out of all the different websites, that's what they recommend for our payload. If you look here, uh, a payload of about 1.5 pounds or a little higher, and we're going to be at about 1.8. Uh, we need a three—we need a three-foot or one-meter uh, uh, parachute, and that's going to take. Once that pops, it's going to take 44 minutes for it to get to the ground. Now. Uh, let me, hey, Steve, jump in here, uh, Steve. Now, you got 44 minutes when it pops, man, you, to, to get your airplane in the area. Right. It, that right. should be doable, right? Yeah. My plan is to, uh, you know, take off, you know, while it's on the way up. And, and I can, you know, we can, you know, your, your forecast, you, you've got that program where you can forecast where you think it's going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got three plus hours of fuel. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to, uh, you know, take off and uh, kind of circle on the side of town where we think it's going to head toward. And uh, okay, we'll be in good shape. Now, now, you know, you might consider putting some external fuel tanks on, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I think this thing is, it's going to be up and down in a uh, maximum of three and a half hours on um, probably three, probably three hours it'll be on the ground in three hours after launch so if you can time your takeoff let's say if you if you take off an hour after launch or, or even later we'd be in good shape you know yeah yeah that's what i'm thinking and I, i've actually got more than three hours i've, I've got I've, I've got closer to five hours but okay know, three hours for sure so all, all right uh, so i'll be um, i mean you know I'm, I'm not i'm not going for speed i'm going for endurance so yeah <laughs> now I'm sorry I got the wrong airplane in the picture here. That's all right. You have right. you have the uh, you have the lower wing which might give us uh, an advantage to spotting it as it's coming down. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So so here we are again. I'm still thinking about I'm still thinking about bringing feel they bringing a tail hook out there and putting it on that airplane for you guys. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's do it. All right. So. So we can uh, we can see right here with a three foot parachute this thing is going to be dropping at uh, about five point five meters per second. That's a, that's about I don't know seventeen eighteen feet per second, and that's going to take forty four minutes for it to get to the ground. 
Now, one of the things one of the things is you don't want it coming down too slow because if it comes down too slow, it catches those winds up there like the jet stream, and it might take it from here to Nashville if we're not careful. So, we want it to come down in the local area here. Well, I would imagine wouldn't it be at the higher altitudes where the, the air density is so much less? I would think the uh, the speed of descent is going to be a lot faster. It's going to slow down as it, as the as the air density gets. Uh, yeah, gets yeah, it definitely it will definitely slow down. And this this is uh this five point five meters per second. That's of course with the chute open, and you know with uh, with the drag uh, uh, there uh, on the payload. Uh, I would imagine when it first uh, pops, uh, there's almost no air up there. This thing's going to fall pretty good for a while. I'm thinking it might, it might be faster than 44 minutes because you don't have that constant uh, rate of descent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, now, uh, so Steve, we have a slight problem here. I, I see a lot of yellow and red circles, man. You want to talk to us about this and what the problem this presents? Well, the, the yellow is no problem. Yellow is just kind of showing. That's, that's this is from a um, an aviation map, and, and the yellow is showing where you know there's high, uh, you know, it's a city, uh, so it's usually showing you know a lot of uh, buildings and stuff. The red are our problems. Um, the, the right, the, the big one in the center is uh, Memphis International Airspace. Um, that as it shows there. You see that uh, 100 over surface? They're, they're, they control that airspace from 10,000 feet down all the way down to the ground. Yeah. Um, so let, let, let me ask you a question. I, I see the little circle. I see the big circle in the center and the little circle. There's a right. little bit of yellow between them. Man, how, how do you know you're in there, man? I mean, they got an orange stripe painted on the ground or something? No, it, thank goodness for GPS. Thank goodness for oh, GPS. Oh, man. Yeah. Woo. So you can kind of see where you are. So, so um, we plan. We plan to try to go out east and launch. Now, the thing is, any given day, the direction this is going to go is different. And right. to give you guys an example of this, I ran some. Uh, I, I, I ran some predictions of landing uh, each day of the week this week. And like on day one, if we launch, you can see. Uh, uh, if you can read that, we're, we're going to launch out uh, out to the east. There's a little place called Somerville, and if you look there, it turns and it goes west. Wow. And then you can see the little pop symbol, and then after it pops, you're going to see it comes it comes back to the east a little bit and it goes down. Now, what we're trying to do is avoid downtown Memphis and all that stuff. We're trying to avoid going across the Mississippi River. Because with one of the bridges out right now, that, that may be a difficult thing. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some uh, chasers on the Arkansas side that can help us if it does go there. So, uh, once we launch and once it hits the ground, it should be within about 30 miles, 35 miles uh, from uh, launch to, to landing. So, that's on one day. Now, look at, I, I'm running the same time period uh each day of the week so that's on one day if we go the next day um it kind of goes to the northwest up there it goes up i can't it's too small i don't know if that's raleigh or somewhere up there i, I can't read it from here but uh, it kind of goes up to the uh, west right there you can see uh, from launch it, it where it pops it kind of makes a little circle and then it just keeps going north up there yeah that's so, over in somerville so, is that somerville yeah well 
Okay. And the south. Oh, lake, oh, 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 and, and the, the the landing is down to the southeast. Yeah, the yeah. landing's over there between Walnut and Corinth, so that'd be the. Kasuth okay, area. toward Corinth. Okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. It, it on my screen here is pretty small. So uh, that again, that takes us away from Memphis, and it takes us away from the Memphis airport. Here's the the next day. Uh, it looks like we're heading down toward you, Glenn. You may have to just you know. Hey, yeah. You yeah, may have to. Hey, yeah, that's just down the road. You may have to just run out there and pick it up for us, Glenn. Well, if you do it on that weekend, I will be available. Okay. All right. So that's going down into Mississippi right there now. Uh, 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 Steve, I don't know how that, I don't know how that Steve. How does a flight pattern like that affect you? I, I I don't have the other map under it here. Is that? Uh, I should be okay there. I should be okay there. The, the other one, Memphis International, and then uh, Olive Branch Airport has a control tower, and they control you know some airspace. Uh-huh. Uh I think it's about three thousand feet down to the ground. They, they might be a little bit more accommodating, but I don't want to mess around too much with Memphis International. Oh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Okay, so let's go look at another day. Let's look at another day. Look at, look at this one right here. It kind of makes a zigzag uh, from, uh, from Somerville back to... That one would be okay, yeah. Well, it goes from Somerville, and it goes kind of zigzag, and it goes north a little bit. Yeah, that one don't look bad. And then here's another one right here. Oh, look at this guy oh, here. Yeah. Now... Now, I, I, I don't think this is to scale. Um, right, yeah. That uh, is that our lot? Can you read on the screen? Is that our lot? Is that Somerville on the right side? I can't tell. Yeah, it looks like you're always using Somerville. The Looks like the lot is on the right. Yeah, the lot is on the right at Somerville, and so it kind of heads back toward Memphis and the river. So uh, by us going, you know, 20, 25 miles to the east to launch, it's kind of helping us make sure it doesn't go across the river. Yeah, that puts you right down in the middle of Bartlett area. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, that would be, um, you know, that's uh, th that's kind of what we're facing here. Uh, we will know more about it the day before the flight, and uh, we'll we'll know more about what the predictions uh, are going to take us, uh, where it's going to take us. You know, uh, we will f we will file, and we don't have to, Steve. We will file a a, a notum. Uh, notice to airmen. Uh, we'll call and and report it and file it uh, that we're doing this launch. And of course, uh, just let them know. I'd feel better that with them knowing it's in the area. You know. Yeah. Now the balloon's not that big when it takes off. It's going to be about seven feet probably. But by the time it hits hundred thousand feet, uh, that balloon's going to be twenty-five feet in diameter. You might be able to see it from the ground. Uh, more than likely, if you got some binoculars, you probably could see it from the ground if it's uh, if it's a clear day. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where we are with um, you know with our flight. Now I, we need volunteers. If there's anybody in the Memphis area, Eastern Arkansas, North Mississippi, Western Tennessee, uh, I'm going to try to have a Zoom call uh, maybe in in a, in a few days. Send me an email to Tom at w5kub.com and we need volunteers to go out and chase this thing down uh, we probably you know, a chase team probably needs to be at least two people one to drive and one to uh, look at the GPS maps and do the navigation and kind of you know uh, checking out the sky 
so I think it uh, probably needs to be a team. And we need multiple teams. It'd be nice if we can station some of them out in the area where we think it's going to come down. Um, once we launch, we will pick up everything. Uh, we'll have two hours before it bursts. Um, but uh, you just don't know where it's going to go. And usually the chase team is kind of behind uh, if you don't have uh, uh, advanced teams out there. So we'll, uh, we'll have some teams out there. We'll provide everybody with the uh, uh, connections to the GPS, the uh, subscription service, and also to APRS where you can know uh, you'll have two different um, uh, two different tools uh, that's telling you where it is. Hopefully, we can get somebody under it and we can see it coming down, and uh, that'll be cool. We're going to get video. We're going to try to do a live video. Uh, a live video of, of, of the whole thing, the event. We'll uh, try to do a live uh, a webcast of the launch. And then for my truck, we'll have a live streaming video of the chase, which probably going to be boring for a couple hours. Um, and uh, if anybody is out at these other places, hopefully, and we will talk about this, they need to get you know their camera and make some video. And we will try to put all this together in a nice video uh, at the end. We're hoping that uh, that uh, Steve and and whoever is with Steve up there in a plane can maybe even get some video. That would be cool to get some video from the plane uh, that we can uh, that we can put into uh, the video here. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's going to be different than anything we've done. It's going to be up and over with in three and a half hours. And I hope we find it. I hate to lose three cameras, a battery pack, uh, a spot trace, and a tracker, and a parachute, and all that. But hey, if we lose it, we lose it. And it's very possible. Uh, we, it may, we may not see it come down. And it's very possible somebody may find it a week later. And uh, we will have, uh, we'll have uh, our address and our phone number and everything on it. So hopefully uh, after they scavenge the cameras out and everything, they'll call us. I just need the SD cards. They can, they can keep the cameras. I just need the SD cards to see. Uh, uh, launch date, we're thinking uh, July the 3rd. Uh, that will be, what, not this weekend, but the next weekend. That's the July 4th weekend. Saturday morning, we hope to launch maybe around 9.30, 10 o'clock. You know, so uh, wish us good luck, and we need volunteers. Anybody... Anybody that can, can help us, I've, I've got some people wanting to volunteer from Jackson, Tennessee area. I know there's some people over in West Memphis that are interested. Uh, everybody, please contact me. We'll talk more about this and we'll put a plan together. We'll put some kind of plan together for communications, whether we use two meters or a repeater or what we use or telephones, cell phones. But uh, we're all going to be able to communicate with each other uh, so um, uh, we can, um, you know, keep uh, keep tabs of what's going on uh, also this is this would be a great like uh, if you're into uh, emergency communications or search and rescue I mean this would be a great uh, probably exercise if you got a club or you got people that want to do this this is like an Apollo landing you know we don't have a as big a parachute but it's gonna be like an Apollo landing and I tried to get an Apollo parachute the white and the red but they were out of them so uh, we're just going to have a plain old red parachute. 
But uh, it's going to be like Apollo landing. We need to get there and rescue the ants. And uh, for people who've been following the show, you know, you know what we mean by the ants there. All right. Well, what do you what do you think, Steve? You think we can do it? I think we can do it. We can do it. Yeah. Well, do you think do you think you can see this orange box in here? You know, that's what's funny. There's sometimes, uh, you know, the, with, with, with some of the technology they got in the planes now, yeah. it shows you, you know, where, where where another plane is. And sometimes I can't see a plane, but then I'm flying along and I can see a bird, you know. So yeah, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's going to be, I hate to say hit or miss because I don't want to hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we launch, when we launch, we, we usually say let her rip, but I don't think we'll say that this time. You know. So here, here's the, here's the, Here's the payload, and uh, I'm sitting on yeah, the, the string. You know, I, so, I'm staying in the Memphis area, you know, we sit in the plane. We should have internet access, so we should, you know, be able to see the tracking. And uh, cool, I've got, a, um, I've got a handheld radio with APRS in it that I'm hoping will help. So okay, yeah, we'll do all right. Well, you can see we have the side camera there. We got a side camera there, and then we're going to have we'll have the bottom camera there. And okay, so. So that gets her. That's her payload. Now you're going to be streaming that live, Tom. Well, I'm, we're going to try to, but uh, best we can. Here, guys, here's the parachute. It looks kind of small to me, but you know, hey, it's three foot, and that's what everybody uh, says we need to. They don't want you to come down too fast, because if it comes down too fast, if it hits somebody, it could hurt them. They don't want you to come down too slow, because it may go 200 miles off off track. So. This is the parachute that we're supposed to use for the weight of our payload uh, here, and uh, you know we'll see uh, we'll see what happens here. But uh, it's, now, Tom, uh, do you really know what's going to happen here? No, we don't. We don't the know. The balloon is not going to burst, and this one's going to go around the Earth about 17 times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but I think it's going to burst, man. I, I, I don't know if we, you know, my hopes are we can hit 100,000. Uh, I don't know. Um, more than likely, more than likely, I hate to say this, we may we may burst at 95 or 97, maybe. Yeah. I'd really love to do it at 110. And, yeah, the uh, good thing with this one, though, is by the time we find it on the ground, the ants will have broken into one of the ice chests there, and they'll be sitting on, you know, Around a little campfire with their beer. I guess if I, you know, that was a good idea. I think you had. I could put a, a lot of people fly a lot larger ice chest. You know, if we put a full size ice chest on there and packed it full of beer, you know, maybe maybe there'd been a lot more people. You know, in the chase. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. All right. All right. Well, that's kind of an update, guys. Hey, next week we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about uh, field day, and uh, we'll mention this again because we're really gearing up for this. Let's uh, let me see if I can put the link in. Let's see if we can get everybody on our, our Zoom that wants to join the show. Um, let me get the Zoom link out. I, I just put it in. Oh, the chat did you? There. Okay. All right. Uh, Alan just posted. There it is. Okay. There's a Zoom link. If you guys would like to join us uh, in the next half of the show, just come on in and talk to us about anything you want to, ham radio or whatever, uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you and see you. You'll be on a show. The, the webcast is not going off, but you're going to be on Skype, and uh, you know people are going to see you 
Go, right, come on. I'm going to jump off of here and yep. jump on the other So, one. everybody, we're going to hang up. We're going to close this, uh, this uh, Zoom call down, and we're going to bring up the other Zoom link. So, uh, see you in just a minute. All right. Yep. Switching over. All right. All right, let's see what happens here. Well, we must have done something right because we got Glenn in here. Guys, help me. I, I don't know if you're still a co-host from last time. Uh, I gave you guys permission last time. Um, see if you can uh, help me to approve people or I'm going to be... See. All right. All right. Let's see who we, we got. Three or four in here already. Barry, got, um, got Glenn, Tom. Yeah. Okay. Barry. All right. So, uh, do you, can you tell uh, Alan if you're a co-host or? Uh, I'm not listed as co-host. You're listed as host, but I'm not listed as a co-host. Okay. Right now. All right. All right. So, all right. Um, let, so, me uh, to, let me try to let me try to fix this again. Co-host. Uh, listed as co-host. You're right. listed as host, but I'm not listed as a co-host. Right. Made you a co-host, Glenn. All right. And anybody who comes into the Zoom, you might want to turn the audio down on the YouTube feed. You're going to get a delayed copy of that, and we're going to hear that. So if you turn the volume up on Zoom and turn the volume down on YouTube, then uh, we'll be in good shape. Yeah. And I'll admit some of these other folks coming in here. Audio down on the YouTube feed. You're going to get a delayed copy of that, and we're going to hear that. So okay. On Zoom and turn the volume down on YouTube, then uh, we'll be in good shape. Yeah. And I'll yeah, I'm busy letting people in here, Tom. So okay, we're... yeah, I was letting them in too. So it looks like we're doing pretty good there. We're getting a few people uh, uh, starting to come in here. All right. Very good. All right, well, let's see who we've got in here. Uh, well, we got Barry. Hey, hello, Barry. How you How you doing, Barry? Uh, let's see. W5, is that CJ? CJ is so small, I need to get me a larger monitor. Yeah, W5CJ. I'm right down the street from you across from the hospital. Hey, Glenn. Oh, are you? Are you down the street from me? Which which direction? Uh, I'm over here in Pembroke, across the street from Baptist Hospital. Okay, okay. You're not too far away, man. Is our signal coming oh, no. in? Our signal coming in pretty good over there? Five nine. Oh yeah. All pretty right. Good. Very very good. Very good, man. All right. Hey, glad you joined us here tonight, man. Ah. Uh, Let's see, and I see Tim in here. Tim, uh, 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 yeah, wait, wait, we got Roy just joining. Let's see, let me see. let's get Roy in here. Oh boy, I clicked something. I don't know what happened. Oh boy, there we go. There we go. There we go. There's a uh, there's Bill. Bill's in there now. Uh, guys, if you want to join us, we posted the link in the chat room. Just scroll till you find that link and just join us, and we'll have a ham radio party here in a minute. 
we're just just about right on time tonight to do our switch to uh, to the gathering. We call this the gathering, uh, or it's called the show after the show. Uh, we don't know exactly what to call it yet, but uh, oh, call it hangouts again, please. No, I don't like the word hangouts, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Doc's here. Yeah, you know, I'm glad Doc is here. Uh, I was. I was happy to see him last week, I think, when he checked in with us, and uh, uh, it's been a long time since uh, we used to get on here with Doc. There's uh, Mark, Mark Pupo. Uh, when you it's enter the... to work for Amazon, they deliver stuff at what, 9.30? All right, so... Um, uh, Bill's saying it asked for a asked for a passcode. He shouldn't be getting a passcode challenge. Uh, yeah, it should be embedded in the link. It yeah, you shouldn't passcode. shouldn't be. So what we're going to do is I'm going to uh, I'm going to paste the link in again. Uh, I'm pasting the link here. Well, that link looks different than but the same link that you posted, uh, Alan. I guess it is. Eight five three one. Yeah, that's it. Okay, you should be able to click on that link and in and come right into it without a password. All right. So uh, okay, this is kind of new to me. All right, let's see. Let me go to a different view here, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what it looks like with a different view. Maybe maybe yeah, I put a shortened link in there because maybe his thing is is truncating it so I just put a, a shortened yeah link okay perfect in there using bit ly that's a cool place man yeah. yeah cool place let's see let's go view let's go gallery here let's see there we go oh, the gallery you can see everybody here you yeah go. gallery's on there uh do we have the I wonder if let's see who is that that's uh Bill he got in he got in all right I think Bill is Tim, there's Bill. And there's Tim. All right, we're getting a few people in here. Yeah, I, I got it from Tom's uh, when Tom put up the link. Thank oh, you. Okay, right, very, good. very good, man. All right. Oh. Okay. Well, I'm glad you made it, Bill. Okay. Well, guys, what are we gonna talk about tonight? Field day. All right. How many people are doing field day? Uh, be, yeah, how many? Raise your hand if you're doing field day. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm not going to really participate. But oh, before you get into the field day chat, I have a little bit of an update. Uh oh. Uh oh. Um, what? Yeah. Um, according to my editor, um, AWRL is deciding on the title for my next book now, which means the cover art is soon to follow, which means it's fixing to go to print almost any time now. Oh, all right. Oh, I do thought you, maybe. Do you have the Do you have the the title? No, they 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 determined the title and they're working that out right now. Well, hopefully it'll be ready for the AWOL convention in New England in September, September tenth, oh, eleventh, and twelfth. Easily, because it better be ready for Huntsville, or I'm going to be upset. Yeah, there you go. I want to no. see you get upset. <laughs> I, I would suspect that it's, if they are at this point, usually when they get the title, the cover art is quickly behind it, and it will be at the printer probably within the month. All right. Well, hopefully the ink will be dry in Huntsville. 
Yeah, I hope. <laughs> I'm going to turn off all this equipment behind me because it's getting hot here in my office. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Well, hey, guys. I don't know if you got your nuts and nuts and bolts magazine, but you already get your nuts and bolts magazine here. Let me show you here, man. Look at this. Here's the, here's the latest one. It always has some great projects in this magazine, man. And uh, it's, uh, it's a cool magazine with different projects. Let's see. There was something else in here I was going to show you. Oh, look at there. Look at there. Oh, they got a... Look at, look, at look at there. Nuts and bolts got us in there, man. If you, you you'll see that ad in uh, CQ magazine also. Uh, we're we're everywhere, man. Everywhere. They're right. They're to make a song about that. You know, I've been everywhere, man. Yeah. Wait a minute. I think <laughs> like a Johnny that, Cash song. Yeah, Johnny yeah. Cash did that one. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I wouldn't I wouldn't suspect that Alan would have known that living up there in New Jersey. Hey, no, I'll tell you, my mom was the biggest Johnny, or still is the biggest Johnny Cash fan. So Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw a music video last night. The, the video, the name of it was Johnny Cash, and there was three girls singing. I didn't ever see anything in there about Johnny Cash. I don't understand <laughs> the deal. I don't know what it was. Maybe, maybe I missed the lyric or something. I don't know, man. All right. What'd you get there, Glenn? Um... I'm old school. I got three CDs. All right. Like I say, I'm 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 old school. I mean, I'm one step away from vinyl, but what did you say? What did you say that was? Glenn, CDs? Music CDs. Yes. Oh, oh. Now that I'm in the car a lot, I need a lot of music and stuff. Yeah. Well. And I'm not into Sirius XM kind of stuff. We were, uh, Kathy and I were going through a lot of VHS tapes last night. We got hundreds of VHS tapes. We're, yeah. we're going to be throwing them out, throwing them away. I got a bunch of blank ones. I said, I yeah, I'll sell them on a resale group. She said, nah, nobody's going to buy these things. So, you know. never know. Well, you know, somebody. I mean, I mean yeah. look, vinyl's hey, making a comeback. Hey, somebody has got a VHS recorder or player somewhere, and someday he's going to need a tape. Those tapes may be worth $100 a piece, man, in about 15 years. Uh -huh. They're not all gummed up together, and you can't, they won't open up anymore. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, I, we were looking at that, and uh, it, it, she's, some of them she's wanting to convert to DVD, you know, maybe like home movies and stuff, but. I don't have the energy to do it, man. I tell her, I said, you know that that's a two-hour tape. It's going to take two hours to record right there, and you've got 100 tapes right there. We're not going to get this done tonight. <laughs> We're not going to get this done this week, you know. So, so we decided to pick out the ones we wanted to keep, and then all the others we're just going to trash. Yeah, doesn't that hurt, though? I mean, all the, the work you did to record those and all of that. Money you spent buying the blanks. Yep. Well, at least at least I didn't buy a Beta Max or whatever that thing was called. Oh hush. Oh God, no. Did Did I you do did. that? Did you do that, Glenn? You bought the Beta. 
I, I bought the beta. I know why, because everybody was talking about that's going to be the, the thing of the future, man. It's going to have the best quality, so I'm going to buy me a beta. Here's the deal. Sony actually developed VHS and sold it off to JVC because it wasn't as good quality as the beta. Yeah, well. But the thing is, the... Um, the VHS was the first to do the six-hour recording, and everybody wanted to record football games back then. And the beta only could do the two or three hours at best, which wasn't enough for a football game. And that's pretty much how they won that war. Yeah. Well, they're both gone now, so you know. So you got rid of the beta machine and bought a laser disc. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got one of those too, uh, but uh, I have I haven't used it. Dinosaur. I haven't used it any. Uh, gee, what what are they gonna have next? I mean, what's next? Oh, it's all gonna be in the cloud. And you know, you know, one of the things I'm really worried about, um, you know, as I was growing up, we had boxes and boxes of pictures. Now, yeah, all those pictures they're gonna get old and crinkled and faded and lost but I've got so many digital pictures now that nobody will ever see them again really you, you don't know where right. to look to find anything I mean exactly you know and then once your hard drive goes away or I mean right now I got mine backed up on carbonite but I mean why yeah I'll tell yeah. you what, we've been we've been doing uh, especially when it's we've got a bunch of pictures from like a vacation or an event or something like that uh, we'll take the time to uh, we'll go to like snapfish or something like that and order a photo book and it's a printed book uh, with all the pictures in it you can add words and add decorations and it comes as a bound book and it'll last you know many many years so we'll oftentimes if we take a family vacation we'll we'll get a couple of those printed up and we'll give them as like Christmas presents to everybody who was on vacation with us. So then now they've got memories of it and yeah. don't have to worry about trying to find the digital pictures anymore. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, if you give them away to people, it's maybe, you know, maybe they'll, the pictures will survive at some point, you know. You know, that was one of our big, you know, holiday gatherings at the house is we'd break out all the, the slides of the slide projector and go through the, the vacation slides on the big circular drums. Yeah, advanced yeah. the carousel and yep. Yeah. Yep, had that too. We got we got we had cases of those slides in uh, in the back of the front closet of the house growing up. And uh, my brother finally took them and scanned them all and put them all on uh, on DVDs for us. But uh, yeah, but yeah, we did that for years and years. I always had the slides. Oh, yeah. That was our holiday yeah. tradition is to break out the slides from the summer vacation. Hey, hey man, Spike in the chat room just told me Carbonite stopped working in the 80s. I'm still paying them right now. I mean, I'm, I'm backing up stuff to Carbonite. <laughs> maybe they kept, maybe they just kept part of it open for me. I don't know. I thought Carbonite was still rolling. Yeah, they, sure well, they are. The one I'm using, they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe he's talking about the carbonite they put Han Solo into or something. I don't know, man. Don't know. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to see Field Day here, man. I I, I want to I'm going to get a Hey, uh, uh, Steve, are y'all going to have that tower that that it takes it all apart and puts it all together and rolls it up and? No, we're. We, I, I was uh, talking to uh, uh, Jelly that uh, with the. Germantown Fire Department. He usually has that for us, but he says that's not available. Wow. 
I've got a video. I'm going to have to pull that out. People have asked me about it. Guys, this tower. That was the coolest thing. This tower. It's not even a tower when it's on a trailer. It's just some pieces. And when you tell it to go up, it, it just starts assembling each little piece. And it hooks it together and it goes up. It's like it builds a uh, it, like a Lego tower or something, and it just builds it and it goes right up, man. And yeah, it's got three feeds of like three feet tower sections, and it just weaves them all together. When you say three feet tower sections, though, I mean it's not like a triangle. It's it's just sides, isn't it? No, it's it's the triangle. Oh, is it? Sections, yeah. Well, it just stacks it up, man, and somehow it puts that stuff together. I don't know. That, yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's truly amazing. It's an interesting. Yeah. Uh, I've got a. If you don't have it, I've got a time lapse video from from a couple of years ago, and it is pretty neat to watch it come up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Well. I'll I'll send you that. All right. Yeah. So uh, give me a link to that or something, and I, I probably have it on one. I had it on one of our shows. I could pull it out. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. Jawade, is that Jawade out there? Hawade, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, wh where is he located? Is he in Iraq or somewhere? I don't think he's in the Middle East somewhere. I'm not real sure. I think he's I in. A, I think he may be in Iraq. Yeah, I'm not sure. Put it in the chat where yeah, you are. Uh, I know, I yeah, know I've uh, seen you make comments on my videos and things like that. And good to see you here, but I'm not sure exactly where you are. Oh, I don't have the chat room. Okay. Yeah, it's still the chat room from the um, from the uh, video stream. The YouTube yeah, yeah. stream. I canceled it out just so I could come into Zoom. Oh, sorry. I, I, I just asked him. I just asked him uh, where he was. Okay. Uh, we'll see where he is. Uh, well, usually we have a couple people down in Australia, you know, uh, in here with us. Yeah, there was somebody in the chat earlier that came in from tonight. Australia. I'm not sure if he's still here, but uh, we had a we had someone in from Australia. Was oh, did we? See if I could find him. Hey, Doc. Yeah. Doc. This, let me bring Doc in. Doc. Is Doc still here? Yeah. Where's Doc? I see him below Tim. Uh, yeah, I'm here. There you are, Doc. Hey, Doc, uh, are you uh, you going to help us recover our balloon if it comes down your way? No, we've got stuff going on at the lake uh, oh, man. on that weekend. Well, more than likely, we're going to land in a lake. You got a, <laughs> you got a boat? Well, yeah. I'll be on the Tennessee River, so if you can arrange that, let me know. All right. Well, you know. I'm thinking we got you know we got we got cars and trucks we got airplanes now we don't have any boats lined up I need to get some boats lined up down at Arca Butler and Sardis <laughs> and uh, maybe over on the Tennessee River somewhere. Yeah, I've done my share of uh, of uh, balloon chasing uh, as Bill said last week. I haven't done that probably five or six years, but it, uh, we used to chase a lot of balloons. Yeah, he said you probably be, probably picked up about ninety percent of his launches. You, you've been real active in that. Yeah, they had a program down there at uh, the University of Alabama at Huntsville, uh, their space hardware uh, club, and uh, also some of their their classes. They they had projects, and they used to recruit me to go chase those things down there several years ago i don't know if they're still doing that or not but i don't hear from them anymore 
But it was well, a lot of fun. All right. Well, Doc, we're going to see you down at Huntsville. You're going to make that one, aren't you? I will. Yeah, that's pretty close for you, so I figured you'd be there. Um, looking forward to it. Anybody else here? Anybody else on Zoom going to Huntsville this year? Huntsville. Hey, there I'm we go. Glenn's going. It, it, are, you, are you setting up a, a live stream table and booth? And yeah, we'll we'll stream the whole show there, and we'll probably we'll, we'll probably give away about you know eight or ten thousand dollars in prizes during the show. Nice. Uh, if you're watching, Barry, you say, are you going? Oh yeah. All right. All right. You guys go. Any you guys going to take the bus down here? I think the club uh, charters this bus, don't they? It goes down yes. there. Yeah, they, they do. Uh, I'm not taking the bus. I'm going down the, uh, on Friday and spending the night. Yeah. Hey, that's a pretty good deal, man. Get that get that bus going down there. Uh, you got plenty of storage underneath. You don't have to drive. You, you get a little box lunch. Everything, man. It's, it's cool. Yeah, there's a couple of guys that run bus trips from here to Dayton. Yeah. All right. Let's see. No, wow. I don't think there's any bus trips from here to, to Huntsville, though. Well, yeah. you got a company car, can't you? Uh, you know, <laughs> they they check your mileage closely. They do. I, I got to report my mileage every month. Wow. You know, used to I don't know newer cars. I don't think it's possible, but I used to could reach under and unscrew the the speedometer. You know. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's tracked with GPS. It's the whole deal. I oh man, modern, modern just does messes everything up, doesn't it? Yeah, don't it. Mm. Although uh, with COVID, I usually do you know 30, 30 to forty thousand miles a year. With COVID, I did maybe a thousand miles in the car oh, all wow. year. So. Yeah, wow. Yeah, the same way. Well, hey, with you know, good job. I'm only doing like thirty miles a day or thereabouts, which is nothing compared to what I used to. Yeah. Yeah, although probably starting, uh, you know, probably ne next next couple of weeks, I'll be getting back out on the road again because things up here in the Northeast are starting to open up again. So I know I've got an appointment uh, middle of July up in uh, one of my Raytheon locations in New Hampshire. So I mean, uh, Massachusetts, I'm heading up there and probably head down to Aberdeen Proving Grounds uh, the next couple of weeks. Hey, Alan, let me ask you a question. Are you using a spot uh, for your dog? I have one. It's not the spot. The one I have is called a whistle. Oh. And um, it's a, it is a subscription service, same type of thing. It clips on her collar. Uh-huh. And then um, when, uh, when you know, it's at like our house or my in-law's house, it can hook up to the local Wi-Fi in the house. And oh. that's known as a quote-unquote safe place. So it, it uses very little battery power. And yeah. then once you leave the safe place... You know, it sends you a notification that, you know, hey, Sophie is here, you know, and uh, and then every 10 or 15 minutes, we'll kind of report her location. And if it's something that, you know, she got out and you've got to find her, you can actually, through the app, turn it into like tracking mode and get an update every, every you know, 20 or 30 seconds of where she is on a map so you can find her. But, uh, but yeah, it's the same type of a deal as that. Yeah. So I need to look at the app, too. I think there's an app for this one. And Steve, uh, we need to get everybody on the app. That's going to be chasing this thing yeah. uh, again. Uh, yeah. The one I had won't give you altitude because I mean, well, it won't. It's supposed to be on a dog on the ground. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
If she's flying, they've got some other got other problems. So the battery in this, uh, they're saying the battery in this one, it uses four little AAAs, and um, they're saying it'll last anywhere from eight to fifteen days, uh, which I thought was pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. The one that she's got on, if if you know, normal walking a couple of times a day and in the house most of the day, that it lasts about uh, five to seven days before I got to recharge it. But it's a yeah. it's a small little thing. It's only about you know an inch and a quarter oh, square. Okay. Yeah. Well, we wanted uh, we wanted some backup tracking on here, um, and even if this only works twenty one thousand feet and below, this would still be very handy for us. Um, it'll still be uh, still be really handy for us to uh, to have to give us that that backup tracking uh, out there. Uh, it's only every two and a half minutes. That's the quickest response I could get. And normally okay. it's five minutes uh, is the best, but uh, uh, I'm paying them for two and a half minute uh, tracking. Um, I was uh, really encouraged when I uh, learned from some other people that they actually flew this and it worked to 60,000, uh, which blows the theory of the 21,000 as the maximum altitude. So. That kind of fits the theory of uh, temperature, possibly. It just got cold. Because uh, this thing's going to go up pretty fast. We're going to be doing 1,000 feet a minute on the ascent. So uh, 1,000 feet a minute is, is uh, moving right on up here. Um, so we should be at 100,000 feet in 100 minutes. That's just, just a little bit under, uh, under two hours. And... Uh, and then maybe about 45 minutes down. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Should be interesting. Looks like I guess Steve and Walters at enter. I'm looking at his picture there. There's a Commodore pet. I haven't seen one of those since high school. Oh, Commodore. Let's see. I, oh, I, I, I'm not even sure what that is. I've got a Vic 20. Yeah, that's like that. This is this predates the Vic 20. Oh, does 64, it? The Commodore pet. Oh, okay. Know? Yeah. I got a Vic Twenty. I think it's got some like 4K of memory, man, uh, or something like that. I mean, it's 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 loaded. Yeah, that was back in the the big split. You either went Apple, Commodore, or um, ZPM or Z80. Yeah, yeah, ZPM. Wait a minute, now, Glenn, you forgot the Osborne ones. And the, that was a CPM machine. Wait a minute. Yeah. Hey, didn't uh, didn't didn't Zenith make something about that? Yeah, Zenith made one. There, the Zenith was a Z80 as well. Yeah. It, you know the, the the Timex Sinclair. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Wow. There's a lot of computers back then. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I in college I got I had a 64, I had an Apple IIe, then a 60 Commodore 64, then uh, I actually not yeah an Apple II, then a Commodore 64, then an Apple then an Apple IIe. All right. So. This is new to me. Stephen raised his hand. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know why. Stephen, uh, you need something? Say something. Talk to us. <clears throat> uh, I can't seem to chant. Hey, hey, is that you, Stephen? Yep. Or is it Stephen? It's Stephen. It's Stephen. I'm sorry. Boy. I'm sorry. Sorry, it's Stephen. Okay. All right. All right. You know, well, I'm, in the, I'm in the UK. I, I could almost imagine that you were there. I'm trying my best. I could, I could uh, pretty much guess you were somewhere over there. 
uh, well, none of us here have any type accents, you know, but. Speak for yourself. But, you know, we can, we can tell, you know, we can tell when, when somebody like the UK comes on or Australia comes on. Well, can't, well, can't you tell Tom that, that that Commodore Pet's got the disc, the uh, the tape drive on the wrong side? Uh, does it? I, 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 the picture's so small here. I, I can't really, I can't see it. it yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty small, but on the wrong side. Let me tell you, I, I've made many trips to uh, the UK and England in my job over the thirty years, and I tell you, I, w- I would never drive over there. They drive on the wrong side of the road. Um, oh. Let me tell you something. Uh, we walked out of the office one day, standing on the curb, and and we looked left to see if anything's coming, and we step out on the street, and we almost get blasted by a bus coming from the right, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty dangerous over there, you know, for for us. <laughs> pretty dangerous. Yeah, I was only over in the UK once, and uh, you know, went to. Went to uh, Wales, and uh, luckily the guys that I was going to see were driving me around because I would have, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was sitting in the driver's seat of the car, but I wasn't driving. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I really, yeah. I have to say this: I had to take a driver's test oh, in boy. Japan, okay, yeah. for the left hand, left-handed drive. Let me tell you something: that was. Uh, that was okay until you get to the roundabout. When you get to the roundabout, you had to remember you didn't go to the right; you went to the left. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what's that? Kind of like that movie that Chevy Chase was in. He got in that roundabout, and he was there for like five hours. He couldn't ever get out. You know, yeah, Big Ben Parliament. Yeah, Big yeah. Ben Parliament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, one time we tried. My uh, friend of mine here from the U.S. was with me, and he tried to drive it. We we took one of the company cars. He tried to drive it. I think the first instant we pulled out on the street, he said, "I'll never do that again." You know. Oh now, man. That's why God gave us chauffeurs and taxis. That's right, man. Mm-mm. You know, I. Uh, uh, I went into uh, China one time from Macau, and uh, that was interesting because, let's see, in Macau, one of the, I, it's been so long now, and one of them, you, we were driving on the left, and when we crossed the line, we had to drive on the right. It's kind of like, I don't know how they made that switch, but it was uh, that was an interesting trip. Sounds like a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two straight, hey, the two roads were not compatible, man. You know, coming out of Macau, you're driving on the left, and when you get to the to the line in the road, it switches to the right. So, I remember driving up to Arecibo, and Arecibo, it's not a two lane road; it's kind of a one and a half lane road. And uh, the first one to get to a, a corner on the mountain, you know, around the edge of the mountain, the first one to honk and be heard wins. And you could look over the side of the mountain and you see all of the cars that were either driven by people who didn't hear the horn or yeah. didn't care. I never, I never took that. I never drove there, but I, I have been up on uh, El Yonqui, and that's a, a mountain there in Puerto Rico. We used to have 800 meg uh, repeater up there, and uh, the hurricanes usually did a number. Of course, you know, in Puerto Rico, and it, it wiped our repeater out, and we had to send some a couple of our techs up there and a the little road that goes up the side of the mountain 
with all the trees and everything, you you look pretty safe, you know. Now the thing is, whoever's half, whoever's going up or whatever, if somebody's coming down, you got to back up and let them, you know, they get the right away because, it's, it's, like you said, it's very narrow. But when that hurricane ripped all the trees off the side of the mountain, the road was out on the edge with, and it was just a straight drop off down yes. the mountain, you know. I, I did get lucky though. I got to go out to, to Arecibo and into the control room during its heyday back in yeah. the seventies. That was that was really cool. Oh. I really hated to see that place get torn up. And Stephen yeah. just commented on his uh, his two eight K pets. I, I was just going to ask you on the chat if it will ask you live. What, I forget what those things ran. Did they have like an embedded basic or did you have to actually run uh, like a basic? I forget what we actually did with those things because they said it's, it was in high school when I was messed around with those. That's 40 plus years ago now. Uh, Mark Pupo is saying basic in ROM. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I remember basic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basic and ROM. Okay. Yeah. I think that's probably what we did with it. But I remember that we had. Yeah. I remember we we actually did we actually stored our programs on a punch tape with that one. Yeah. I had an Exidy Sorcerer. It was the ADS one hundred based, and it had the uh, cassette tape. Okay. Yeah, my my I had son said on the Apple II. I had the cassette. I had the cassette drive for the Commodore sixty four. Then I stepped up to the disc drive, and then I had the the two E, um, and that had the the dual floppy drives. So, but then I remember in, in college we uh, the the mainframe that we used used the the punch cards, and uh, I remember many a time running across campus and having the you know, rubber band break loose and get a confetti of punch cards say to got try to put yes. back in order put back in the, the submit in well guys There's we are a, an internet project out there that they are emulating all of those older computers with an arduino or a raspberry pi and i actually bought an altair 8800 and somebody's actually laser cut a case that looks just like the original 88 uh 8800 so here we are nuts and bolts uh but yeah th correct. this they we've got brainiac here look there's brainiac yeah no i don't i don't know i don't know what brainiac does but i guess we can build one glenn it was one of the early analog type computers that you could make yourself it was kind of cool yeah all right, guys, we're getting really close to the end of the show here. I uh, just want to thank everybody out there listening on Shortwave on WBCQ on 7490. You've been listening to uh, a lot of discussion about, well, a lot about discussion about everything the last uh, 30 minutes. But uh, this is Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's about ham radio, and we uh, are glad you were with us tonight. Tune back in next week uh, for a new show, and uh, you can join us uh, on youtube.com slash w5kub at um, 0100 UTC on Wednesday 0100 UTC Wednesday and for us here in the United States that's actually Tuesday so I don't know how you guys there you guys are always in the future we're always in the past
thanks for watching. And we'll see and, you, see you next week. And I, just a note: if you go on a travel trip, take your radios and stuff in the hotel where you are. Some guy stayed in a place out in San Diego, and they ripped off fifteen walkie-talkies. So I mean, you know, hey, I don't know about these people. Hmm. Get the ARRL insurance too. I don't know. He was a emergency management person. Wow. Kenwood TK something. I don't know. All right. Hey, guy, look at this. A digital tube tester. You can build a digital tube tester, man. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, and I'm thinking about it. Look at that, man. Digital tube tester. Oh. I'll wait for Glenn. He'll, he'll put it on the market. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Amazon's got me pretty tied up. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much off the, off the grid here for a little while. I'm finally catching up, though. But uh, the first, I've been told the first six months are, are crazy, and I've been there, too, and it's still crazy. What are you guys doing about the new electronic electromagnetic field regulations? That's the new uh, the new FCC requirement to to address that. Is that right? Yeah, I, yeah here in the U.S., um, we've got two years to kind of uh, go through and and kind of pr perform the compliance. Um, so you, know, you just don't get the automatic, uh, you know, exemption anymore. You just have to kind of go through and do the, you know do the calculations but uh, there are folks that have put spreadsheets together and things like that but uh, I think we've got you know something like two years to kind of ensure that our stations are in compliance if they've got something that's already done unless you're putting a new station together and making changes then you've got to do the evaluation then but there's no uh, nothing you need to do other than keep records yourself there's nothing you have to submit or anything like that uh, is it the same way in the UK um, it's a little bit more serious than that. You have to keep records of, uh, you, you have to do a fill out a spreadsheet, which works out what your field wow. strength is going to be. And, uh, you know, obviously depending on power and frequency, but the thing I'm really concerned about is that, you know, sooner or later, some greedy little lawyer somewhere is going to start saying, Hmm, uh, people are, you know, you can justifiably sue radio hounds for causing cancer or causing some other mysterious ailment. Like they moan about with uh, with Wi-Fi, right? Like that that does worry me because um, you know you'll you'll have um, you know ambulance chases, um, you, you know everywhere chasing after radio hands, assuming they got some money. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. People and it's the same people that hold uh, you know the a half a watt cell phone to their head all day long. <laughs> right. It could be a market for tin foil hats after all. There you go. <laughs> I like the way he thinks. All right, all right, gentlemen. I'm going to jump out. Yeah, uh, late here. I got to work. Night, gentlemen. Day, so I think we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and close the show down too. Thanks everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, we had a great time with you. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next Tuesday. And um, hey, come, Mark, come you make sure you get that antenna up, buddy. He needs to. He sure needs to. Tom, we'll see you at field day. All right. Yeah.